0: College football season is back, and Walters is the place to be in D.C., be it the SEC, the ACC, the Big Ten, or whatever the heck we're calling the Big 12 right now. The 30-plus televisions at Walters have you covered.
1: Make your reservations over at waltersdc.com slash reservations now.
2: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed
3: the set and the pitch swing and a drive hit deep to left field this is way back going going and gone goodbye into the second deck in left field off a hanging breaking ball Adam Duvall is in his 32nd home run of the year and it's the Braves three and the Nationals one First pitch to Yadiel. Swinging a high drive left center field. This one is deep. Racing back Peterson on the run to the warning track at the wall, and it's gone. It just sneaks over the wall into the first row at the 385 mark. An opposite field. Three run, game tying home run for Yadiel Hernandez. Curveball skied in the air, deep left center field. Racing back Thomas to the track, to the wall, looking up, and there it goes. Braves are back in front on Ozzy Albee's 27th home run, and it's Atlanta
0: 7 and the Nationals 5. And welcome to Nat Chat for Wednesday, September 8, 2021. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Mark Zuckerman is off for Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. We say Happy New Year to him and all of our Jewish brothers and sisters, and we're very pleased to welcome on the mastermind of the Nat Chat podcast, Tim Schovers, who's with me off a Nationals loss and 8-5 loss at the Atlanta Braves on Tuesday night in game one of a three-game series. Now, Chauvers, you have intimate knowledge of the Braves, so it is uh, particularly fortuitous that you're doing this episode of this podcast for this game, so I uh, thank you for joining me.
4: Uh, thank you, Al. Yes, I do have uh, about thirty plus years of experience of watching games in Atlanta with the weird start times, which I know you loathe. Uh, evolved over the years; used to be 740, 735. seven thirty five. We're now at seven twenty, so I can walk you through that if you if you have some more complaints about that one.
0: Yeah, it is something else, man. Uh, 720 is just a beautiful time to start a game on a weeknight. I don't know. I'm looking forward to these games against the Pirates at the Pirates this weekend. 6.35 starts Friday night and Saturday evening. That's more like it uh, for people uh, who have kids and who are uh, up at all kinds of hours. But anyway, enough complaining about the times of games and the lengths of games. This was another one of these wild Nationals games. And I I tell you what sticks with me, Tim, more than anything from this game. And I've, I've mentioned this recently, but it really is starting to crystallize here. The Nationals can hit. The Nats just aren't a good pitching team. And when the end of the season comes and the end of the season is coming, we're inside of a month until the end of the regular season, October 3rd. What will be written on the epitaph of the Nationals is this team actually ended up being pretty decent offensively. This just was not a team that could pitch through this game on Tuesday night. The Nationals, in terms of the 15 teams in the National League, 12th in team ERA, at 476. But believe it or not, fourth in team OPS at 753. And this is a basic way of doing this pitching versus offense. But I think this conveys a point. The Nationals pitching has not been good this season. Everybody knows that. But the offense has actually been good. The offense, you could argue, has ultimately been postseason caliber. I know that sounds ridiculous, but you're top four in the National League. This was another game on Tuesday night in which the Nationals ended up hitting. It's just that the Nationals couldn't pitch and you're not going to come back to win every game.
4: You're right, Al. It is a postseason caliber offense, which is astounding because what we saw the first few months was anything far from it. Though, side note, I would love to see an alternate universe in which Josh Bell and Kyle Schwarber don't miss the first few weeks because of COVID. But back to where we're at right now. Yeah, you know, they were down 5-1 to one and, and the Braves go to the bullpen. And if you know anything about Atlanta's bullpen, it's not as bad as the Nats, but it's not great. So I knew they had a chance. And before you knew it, before they even stretched in the seventh inning, the Nats tied it back up at five. So I have a lot of confidence in this offense. There's a lot of bats. And even though Soto barely gets anything to swing at, his teammates are picking him up. Bell's giving him good protection. is a major league hitter. Keyboom's starting to come into form with that 1st inning RBI single. You're right, Al. It's really something the transformation, I think, is the right word for the offense of the past few months.
0: Here are the runs scored for the Nationals working backwards over the last, say, eight games. Okay, so we'll start with Tuesday night's 8 5 loss at the Braves. Five, four, six, four in seven innings. Nine, two in 10 innings. Okay, that's not good. But six, six, four, four, you know, that's not bad. I mean, the, the Nationals are pretty consistently scoring some runs. It's not a dominant offense. Like, I don't want to overstate things here, but offense really isn't the problem. And you do have a number of guys right now who are hitting well. We'll get to some of them coming up in just a bit. But the pitching is the thing. And ultimately, this national season, the collapse of the Nationals this season is about the pitching, in particular, the starting pitching. You know, Tim, to take you guys behind the scenes, had asked Mark and myself recently, is Paolo Espino, now the ace of the national staff. And I tell you what, entering Tuesday night, you could make that argument. I mean, it's, it's not saying much. But the ace ended up getting rocked to at least some degree on Tuesday night. Our guy Paolo, the secret weapon, struggling for the first time in three starts. Paolo ultimately in this game, five runs in five innings. He gives up seven hits, a homer, two doubles, and four singles. Issues two walks. Does have seven strikeouts, but he throws 92 pitches over the five innings. It was kind of a Jekyll and Hyde outing for Paolo because in some ways we saw the good of Paolo, like the seven strikeouts, but in other ways we saw the bad of Paolo, and this is some of what plagued him during that like month and a half stretch in which he didn't pitch well. He was not particularly pitch efficient, and he got got from the get-go, which was not something that we're used to with Paolo. Gives up three runs in that bottom of the first inning, and the Nationals end up having to play catch-up for most of the night.
4: First off, I think he was really affected by the humidity in Georgia tonight. He was sweating really hard, Steven Strasburg style, and uh, and I thought he was pitching a lot slower. He was taking a lot longer between pitches, and even in the first inning, he didn't look comfortable. And I'll admit, I'm not great at reading pitches off the bat. It just doesn't, I don't know, it's just one of the weird blind spots for me. But even I could tell how much he hung that off-speed pitch to Duvall. Duvall hit it in the Fulton County. I will applaud him with this, and, and I know it's kind of lame and loser talk to say this, but Given the rest of the Nats staff, he made it to five innings, which is no small feat at times. But yeah, this is a real chance for Paul to really stake his claim as the ace of the staff after Grace had after Grace had back-to-back bad outings and uh, the uh, the search continues out.
0: I think we should remember this a year from now. In the Nats Chat podcast for September 8th, we had a conversation about Paolo Espino trying to stake his claim as the Nationals ace. That's about as low of a low point as you're going to get to. All due respect to our guy. The secret weapon. Uh, but yeah, we kid because we love it. Yeah, so that bottom of the first inning, he gives up the three runs. You mentioned that homer. That was some shot by Adam Duvall. It's a two-out, three-run homer to left field on a 1-2 pitch for a 3 nothing Braves lead. That was another thing that stood out about that three-run first inning. Paulo had all these guys down at various points and could not put them away Issues a leadoff six pitch walk of Ozzy Albee's, despite him having been down in the count at 1.12. Paolo gives up a one out full count single to Freddie Freeman to conclude a 10 pitch plate appearance, in which Freeman was down in the count at 1.02, and then the three run bomb with two outs by Duvall on a 1 2 pitch. Paolo gave up a run in the bottom of the third on a one out double by Freddie Freeman, a two out five pitch walk of Adam Duvall, and a two out RBI double by Travis Darno, on which Duvall was thrown out at home, and then Paolo gives up a run in the bottom of the fourth on back-to-back singles to begin things, and then a one-out RBI sack fly. It is becoming entertaining to me right now. I have to say this. Davey Martinez, you can tell, has kind of had enough of the starting pitching not lasting long.
5: I can tell you that you know it all comes down to yeah, starting pitching. We fall behind. Our guys come back. We got to kind of get ahead. Our starting pitchers got to pitch a little better, keep us in the ballgame. I mean, we're always coming back, and it's tough to, keep, to continually come back every day. So we got to get a little bit more from our starting pitchers, keep us close. Uh, when we do that, we, we have to end up winning ballgames. So can't you know, spot a team five runs and come back and sustain that every day.
0: And so every game now, it becomes kind of a game of how long is Davey going to keep the starter in the game to suffer? You know, because inevitably the starting pitcher suffers to some degree, gives up stuff sometimes early in games. And it's just like, all right, man, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not pulling you after an inning or two innings or three innings. You're going to give me five, you know, come hell or high water like that. It seems to me like that's what Davy's doing right now. I don't blame him one bit, but he did this with Patrick Corbin in his outing and Corbin responded. But Davey had a gassed Corbin out there to work that seventh inning. And Corbin wasn't coming out of that game no matter what happened. And with Paolo, it was a, a little lessened in this game, right? It was only five innings. But, you know, even with the three-run first, even with giving up a run a few innings later, it didn't feel like Paolo was coming out. It was kind of like, no, you're here to eat up innings because we can't keep doing this, pulling starters, you know, after like three and two-thirds. That's sort of the thing.
4: Definitely. Yeah, a different time of year after 83 pitches, he pulls Paulo, no questions asked. But he sent it back out there, and Paolo somehow pulled off a nine-pitch in the fifth. But in a macro sense, Al, I've been thinking about it during this what's seemingly endless stretch against the East contenders. Just think about what Davey Martinez has to do each day compared to what Luis Rojas and Joe Girardi and Brian Snicker do. Those three managers come in each day trying to figure out how can I win the game because I'm in a pennant race? As opposed to David Martinez, where his first order of business is how can I fill these nine innings with enough arms? You know, how can I properly get my staff to get the 27 or sometimes 24, or even I guess 21 outs on doubleheaders? And so it is such a disadvantage that the Nats are at, which makes these comebacks in these close games and in late innings even that much more impressive. And I know that's a really rosy eyed view of the Nats, but we've had plenty of time to do the belly aching. I feel for David Martinez because he just doesn't have enough people to properly pitch nine innings of baseball.
0: Yeah, there's essentially a two-pronged thing going on with the Nationals pitching this season. So you A, have the fact that the starting pitching hasn't been very good, and you B, have the fact that the Nationals don't have many options in terms of their pitching, both in terms of starters and relievers. So It'd be one thing if the starting pitching was great, but you lack pitching depth in the organization. You could probably survive that lack of pitching depth. Truth be told, the Nationals have had this lack of depth for a while, but it really hasn't come back to bite them. But this season, you know, the chickens have come home to roost, as the saying goes, because the pitching has been bad. And so that lack of pitching depth has gotten completely exposed. And that's exactly what you're talking about right there, where every game is a battle and there's that game within the game of Davy just trying to fill the nine innings. That's like a perfect way of describing this. Davy's just trying to fill the nine innings. That's it. And if the Nationals happen to win, great. But like, that's not even what it's about anymore, almost. It's like, just survive. Survive in advance. That's what this is. Survive to the next game in terms of your pitching. And that's just such a bad way to go through a 162-game season. So, With the Nationals' bullpen on Tuesday night, it's another game, I know, shock face, in which the Nationals' bullpen gives up runs. It's another game in which Davey ends up using three or more relievers. Four Nationals' relievers combined to allow three runs in three innings. Once again, some guys are good, but some guys are not so good. Andres Machado tosses a perfect bottom of the six, but then Ryan Harper is a mess. He was really bad in what ended up being a Braves two-run seventh inning. He allows two runs in facing three batters and getting no outs. Lead-off, four-pitch walk, Eddie Rosario, tie-breaking two-run homer by Ozzy Albies for a 7-5 Braves lead, and then a first-pitch double by Jorge Soler. I would love to know this number. How many times this season has a Nationals reliever come into a game and issued a walk to the first batter who that reliever faces? Because it feels like it has happened about 4,000 times this season, and it happens again with Ryan Harper on Tuesday night. Now, to that aspect of the bullpen of some guys being good, some guys not being good, Alberto Baldonado relieved Ryan Harper and was excellent. Baldonado continues to be utilized in high leverage or semi-high leverage spots and continues to deliver. This is a guy who the Nats called up from AAA Rochester just last Wednesday, September 1st, selected his contract from Rochester. Baldonado on Tuesday night cleans up the mess that is left by Ryan Harper in that Braves two-run seventh enters the game with a runner on second, nobody out, and that's down 7-5, retires three of the four batters he faces to prevent any more runs from scoring in the inning. Alberto Baldonado now, four and two-thirds scoreless innings with six strikeouts at the Major League level. But then Sam Clay pitches, and he gives up a run in the bottom of the eighth. Now, to be fair to Clay, he's been better since he was brought back up from AAA Rochester, but Tim, every game, some relievers are good, some are not, and every game, the bullpen is Gives up runs and it happened again on Tuesday night.
4: Yeah, Braves offense, Nats bullpen. What a rough combo. <laughs> yeah, it just it was particularly backbreaking because it was just off the heels of, of Yadiel Hernandez hitting an opposite field homer and Harper immediately gives it up. And as you said, I think Mark tweeted earlier this week that it was the 375th time he was being tongue in cheek about walking the leadoff hitter. So it's over 138, which they've played 138 games, by the way, it feels like. Baldonado, though, on the bright side, I like what I see out of this guy. Now, it's just four innings, and, and I'll do the Al Galdi special here, small sample size alert, but I like what I see out of him, and I hope he gets more high leverage spots to the point where why not start him in the inning, in the seventh? It's hard to quibble with what Davey Martinez has to work with, but I would have liked to have seen Baldonado out there instead of Harper to start the seventh. But again, I mean, we're quibbling about you know, back-end relievers here.
0: Yeah. And the shine is coming off Ryan Harper. For a while, we were Ryan Harper advocates on the Nats Chat podcast. He was doing really well. Uh, The doing really well has lessened over these last few weeks. Look, these guys are relievers. They are flawed pitching citizens. And we are seeing that to a T as this national season goes on.
1: Hey, Nats fans, are you looking to buy or sell a home or an investment property? If so, contact Jamie Coppersmith, and the Coppersmith Group at McInerney Associates. A huge Nats fan right from the get-go in 2005, Jamie has repeatedly been recognized by Washingtonian Magazine as a top-producing real estate agent across the DMV. Referred to by a client as a Jedi Master of Real Estate, he will bring his expertise to bear on your behalf, helping you understand and navigate this challenging real estate market. Jamie is a five-tool agent who's as patient as Juan Soto at the plate. He has his own version of Moneyball, a strategic and statistical market-based analysis that balanced with a deep respect for your specific real estate needs, goals, and timeline. So whether buying or selling, call Jamie Coppersmith today at 202-525-7471 or visit his website at thecoppersmithgroup.com. That's Coppersmith with a K.
3: The 2-1 from Matzik. Line drive, right center field, base hit up the alley. It'll be cut off by Soler, Rounding third, heading home Lane Thomas. Digging for third is Escobar. The throw-in is cut off, so Escobar will slide in safely at third. It's an RBI single for Juan Soto.
0: Soto's 81st RBI of the season, and here come the Nationals. It's now 5-2 Atlanta. Well, we mentioned it at the top of the show. The Nationals can hit. It may not always feel like it, but the numbers don't lie here. The Nationals have actually had overall one of the better offenses in the National League this season. And sure enough, Tuesday night was a game in which the Nationals did hit multiple Nationals hitting rather well. Yadiel Hernandez, a big game. He was the Nationals starting left fielder, and he ends up delivering to the tune of a two-for-four game, a three-run homer, and a double, and a nice defensive play as well. Top of the fourth, a leadoff double. In a Nationals 4-1 run seventh inning, a two-out first pitch, game-tying opposite field, three-run homer to left center field to tie the game at five. That's the thing. The Nationals come back in almost every game these days. The Nats were down in this game 5-1, going into the seventh inning, put up a four spot in that top of the seventh. No moment bigger in that inning than Yadiel's game-tying three-run homer. And then, like Tim said, the Nationals unable to have what's called the shutdown inning in the bottom of the frame with getting up the two runs in that bottom of the seventh inning. But, you know, Yadiel Hernandez, we know this deal with him, right? He's an older rookie, already in his 30s. He's not a great defender, although he made he made a really nice catch in this game, a diving forward catch in shallow left field of a liner off the bat of Travis Darnot with runners on first and second for the final out in that Braves two-run seventh inning. Here's Travis Darnot,
3: line drive left field, sinking. Hernandez comes in, slides, and he caught it. Yadiel Hernandez with a sliding catch to his left makes a terrific play robbing Darno of a hit and potentially an RBI so Yadiel who had the
0: big hit in the top of the inning flashes the letter in the bottom of the inning Yadiel has a 783 OPS on the season I don't know do you think he can be more than a fourth outfielder which is basically what he's been for the Nationals do you think he could be an everyday piece for the Nats next season or do you think the role that he's in is the role that he should stay in
4: I think he should be in the starting lineup in 2022. Now, I hope that it's with a designated hitter because it's we're clear reaching that point. And I know we have a lot to deal with in this offseason. But assuming that's the case, I'd be more than happy with him in the DH. And then you could maybe have Riley Adams as the right-handed DH and et cetera. But I think he's earned a spot as an everyday player because he's you and I watch him every day. He's a major league hitter. It's just very obvious. It was clear back in April and May. And uh, what do you think, Al? Do you think he's worthy of being on the Nats or someone else's opening day lineup of 2022?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think he's definitely worthy of a roster spot. I think whether you have the universal DH is key to this from a Nationals perspective. If you don't have the universal DH, then you're going to suffer defensively with him. So I wouldn't have him as an everyday player. But as a bat off the bench, yes. And I think what he's done with his hitting this season, but, you know, this goes back to last season too, is like you said, he is a major league hitter, you know? There's that overused phrase of professional hitter, but that in a lot of ways is what Yadiel Hernandez is. And we're seeing that here. The sample size with him has grown as this season has gone on, right? That's usually how it works The seasons go on. And he hits, you know, he's, do- he's doing a good job. He's got a 336 on base. He's got a four forty seven slugging. If you care about batting average, he's hitting two seventy nine on the year. Like the guy can hit, you know? He's not great, but he's pretty good. And he can have some big games. And he had a big game, in this game on Tuesday night. So it was nice to see that. Another guy who had a great game offensively on Tuesday night, the best hitter on the planet, Juan Soto. Juan Soto ended up getting on base five times on Tuesday night. Two for two with an RBI single, another single, two walks, and a hit by pitch. Even by Soto standards, getting on base five times in a game is pretty impressive. Uh, Soto, and a Nationals one-run first, draws a one-out six-pitch walk despite having been down in the count at 1.02. Top of the third, Soto, a one-out four-pitch walk. Top of the fifth, Soto, one-out single. Four-run seventh, Soto, RBI single. And then for good measure, Soto, top of the ninth, drawing a one-out hit-by-pitch. major league leading on base percentage up to 449 on the year. He is flirting with a 450 on base percentage as we are well into the month of September. That is ridiculous. And yet that's where we are with Juan Soto.
4: Not that I watch a ton of AL Central baseball, but I don't ever remember Miguel Cabrera getting treated like Juan Soto's been treated. We've been using the term Bonzian, or I guess you could say Ruthian, and I mean it in full sincerity when I say it, the way he's been treated. And the Braves, you know, they pitched him a few times and gave up a couple hits, but they're being very careful with him. I wouldn't be surprised if he walks three or four times each of the next two games in this series. So what he's doing, Al, these numbers are astounding, especially when you throw in the fact that He was off the first two months. I mean, he has had a down year for the first portion of the season. So for him to rally like this, I cannot wait to see what the future box scores are for us here in D.C. as we have years and years of Juan Soto ahead of us.
0: Yeah, I mean, if we use Miguel Cabrera as someone to look at, his peak on base percentage for a season was four forty eight in 2011. I mean, a 450 on base really is rarefied air, especially in this era of performance enhancing drug testing, right? I mean, you know, bonds put up those nuclear numbers, but bond was all jacked up. he's all juiced up. Like everybody knows that in terms of the quote unquote PED testing era. And I, w- I will never say clean era because we still don't know who might be doing what, but you know, you have pretty stringent PED testing and PED policies now in MLB. You don't see this. You certainly don't see this often. A guy flirting with a 450 on base. And, you know, Soto put up all world numbers last year. But you did have to sort of attach the asterisk of That was a 60-game season. So it was great what Juan did last season. But, you know, 60 games, like the numbers you would think were bound to come down. I don't know. Maybe maybe they (laughs) wouldn't have come down last season. And this season, they've gone up as the season has gone on. And, you know, this is something else for people to remember because, you know, the whole idea of protection and the Nationals traded away some veteran hitters. And in theory, the Nationals lineup got worse with that sell-off in late July. And yet somehow Juan Soto's numbers have gotten better since that sell-off. I think that's telling. I think that's instructive. I think that's important to remember. I think protection can exist, but I think it's also something that sometimes gets said a lot, but isn't actually verified all that often. And I also think this, and just to get back to kind of the point we made at the top of the show, since the sell-off, the Nationals' offense has been just fine. You could argue it's been better. And what does that say about what the Nats were prior to that sell-off? That a lineup that routinely features the likes of Lane Thomas and Riley Adams and Yadiel Hernandez and Luis Garcia and Carter Keboom is doing just fine, if not better, than those previous lineups with the likes of Kyle Schwarber and Jan Gomes, and uh, Josh Harrison, et al. you know, And not to rip those guys, but the Nats have been just fine offensively. I I don't think that's getting enough attention. The Nats are hitting, and Soto is flying, even without all that quote-unquote protection in the lineup.
4: What you're just saying right now with the offense is to me proving why you— this is a different conversation—why you should focus your free agent money on pitching, because that's what you live and die with. And you can always cobble together offense— the Nats got rid of Trey Turner, they get rid of Jan Gomes, they get rid of Josh Harrison and Kyle Schwarber, and yet they're better offensively. I can't explain it, even though we watch it every single day. Offense is such a finicky thing.
0: Well, Alcides Escobar got on base two more times on Tuesday night, two for five with a double and a single. Riley Adams got on base two more times on Tuesday night, one for three with a double and a couple of strikeouts. Carter Keyboom had another RBI single on Tuesday night. It's interesting with Keyboom because he doesn't always hit balls hard, and this was another instance of this, but he does hit balls effectively, I guess, and he did this in the top of the first inning, a two-out opposite field RBI single on a soft hit, a cue shot to right field. But Key boom in the game leaving five men on base, and Key boom in the, in the game with a really bad base-running blunder. And free throw in the first, look out, Key boom is picked off. What
3: did we talk about, Charlie, with the hanging leg kick? If you don't make the move back to first, even
0: if you're not trying to steal, he's going to pick you off. And he picked him off. Dare I say a tootblan marks off. We'll have to get his official ruling on this, but Carter Keeboom in the top of the fifth picked off at first base with runners on first and third and Yadiel Hernandez batting. Keboom gets picked off for the third out and Keeboom was asleep. I don't know if it was nappy time. I don't know what was going on for the guy. He never even made it back to first base. You don't see that often. I can't recall having seen that this national season. Somebody getting picked off he don't even get back to first base. He got tagged out before he reached first base. I don't know what was happening, but I do know that that can't happen. And yet it did happen.
4: Yeah, it was like, I think Willie Mays Hayes got picked off once like that. <laughs> I, I, mean, I haven't seen one since. To that point, if you remember, I'm blanking on who he picked off. Oh, it was Robles. Max Freed picked off Robles in Atlanta last month. The Nats know how good Freed's move is. He's lefty, and he's kind of got that Andy Pettit sort of pickoff move. I have a question for you, Al. Whose responsibility is it in terms of base running and getting picked off on the coaching staff? Because I only watch one team play every single day, but having watched baseball my whole life, it seems like there's an abnormal amount of guys getting picked off, or caught stealing on this Nats team way more than there should be.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, it starts with the player, but the coach is the first base coach. And I don't know what was happening in that moment, but I mean, if you're Keeboom, you can't have that happen. That's like one of those things that's just a a mortal sin in baseball to get picked off like that. But it happened, you know, and look, he's young, he's growing like all those caveats that we attach to things right now. I still want to see Carter Keeboom out there every day. He has been, I think, pretty solid offensively. We know he's shaky defensively. You mentioned the base running, though. and I'm glad you brought that up because I noticed this the other day, and I wanted to work this into one of our shows here. So Fangraphs has an all-encompassing base running statistic called BSR, Base Running Runs. It's a sophisticated way of measuring overall base running for a baseball team. The Nationals entered games on Tuesday dead last in the majors in base running runs This season, minus 16.9. The next worst total, that of the Cincinnati Reds at minus 14. So the Nationals, by a pretty comfortable margin, entering games on Tuesday, the worst base running team in the majors this season, quantifiably speaking. This is one of the best base running things we have. Base running runs, you can find that on Fangraph. So yeah, if it feels like the Nationals have been a bad base running team this season the data backs up the Nationals having been a bad base running team this season. And we know bad base running comes in you know many ways, right? Caught stealing, thrown out on the base paths, getting picked off. Well, we've seen pretty much all of that from the Nationals this year. And we saw that with Carter. That was a bad moment. So hopefully it's something that he learns from. I mean, you're going to have that happen, though, over the course of a year. I mentioned, by the way, Riley Adams getting on base two more times. Riley Adams now, 985 OPS, over 66 major league plate appearances with the Nats. We did see k Ruiz pinch hit in this game. He popped out. Dealing with that bone bruise, it's unclear whether he can catch, but this is a disappointment that especially Ruiz suffers an injury like that because obviously of his position, right? This was supposed to be, hey, put K-Bert Ruiz out there. Let's see him the rest of the season. But he suffers a bone bruise to a knee. <laughs> That's like one of the more annoying things and one of the more crucial things that can happen to a catcher, right? Because if your knee is hurting you, you can't be squatting down. So hopefully we see Kibert starting at the Nats catcher come Wednesday night, but we're still not entirely clear if that'll be the case or not.
4: Yeah. Gut feels that Adams probably goes back behind the plate on Wednesday night, catch Sean Nolan. Cause of that bone bruise that you talked about, it was good to see how early Ruiz was used as a pinch hitter. So it's clear that he's, you know, an eligible member of the roster, Right now, yeah, the bone bruise is really annoying because I want to see Ruiz get back out there. I know it was a tough first week, but you know, we're not going to learn about him if he's, if he's sitting on the bench. And it's important to sort of see now, not only what, what the Nats have in Ruiz, but where Ruiz and Adams stack up because it's then important to figure out what you have in Adams entering next season. There's so many options with him if you throw in DH in first base. So, uh, I do hope that Ruiz is able to return soon.
0: Yeah. I mean, less than a month left in the season. This is valuable developmental time, if you want to call it that, that K. Bert Ruiz is missing. So hopefully it gets well soon and hopefully we see him out there. But in the meantime, Riley Adams does continue to hit. Hey guys, Al Galdi here to tell you about FanDuel. It's great to be in the midst of baseball season. Nothing like watching a game. Great weather, cold drink, and a little action on FanDuel Sportsbook. If you have never bet on baseball before, now is the perfect time to give that a shot. FanDuel is letting new users swing for the fences risk-free as you'll get up to $1,000 back for an even bigger win all season long. There's a reason that FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. It's got great odds on all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same-game parlay and always-on promotions to let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code CHAT. To get in on the action, that's FanDuel Sportsbook, promo code CHAT. Well, what a race going on for first place in the National League West. San Francisco Giants, Los Angeles Dodgers. Giants are at the Colorado Rockies Wednesday afternoon at 310. Anthony DiSclefani is starting for the Giants. 324 ERA, over 26 starts this season. We will take DiSclefani and the Giants.
4: 21 plus plus in present Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager, only for risk-free bet. Refund issued as is non-withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. one with it indiana one 270 7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-GAMBLER, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia, Tennessee. one Or in West Virginia,
1: visit www.1800gambler.net. Hey Nats fans, this is Eric Bramer, play-by-play broadcaster for the Fredericksburg Nationals. Time is running out to see the Fred Nats in their inaugural 2021 season at beautiful new Fred Nats Ballpark. With promotions every night of the week and a talented roster that includes Jackson Rutledge, Jeremy De La Rosa, Brandon Bossier, Yordi Barley, and many more, the time's never been better to see tomorrow's Washington National Stars today. Visit frednats.com for ticket information and follow us on social media at
0: FXBGNats for the latest updates. So game two for the Nats at the Braves, Wednesday night at 720. Sean Nolan will be the starting pitcher for the Nats. He's been solid, all things considered, over his last two starts. I mean, I think we also kind of have this feeling with Sean Nolan of what's really the point here in him pitching. But like we said, there aren't many options with this team and if Nolan is going to do a halfway decent job like he has over his last two outings, then I guess you keep putting him out there. Uh, we last saw Nolan in the six 2 ten inning loss to the Mets in Nationals Park on Friday night. Two runs in five innings in that game. He did throw 102 pitches over the five innings. But you know, Sean Nolan. I've mentioned this. I think it bears worth repeating. Prior to this season, had not pitched in a major league regular season game since October 2015. I mean, that, that is a stunning fact. So if you can get two runs out of five innings from the guy. At this point right now, you take that. But I think one thing that's clear, Tim, no matter what's happening in the game, Davey's having Sean Nolan go out there and at the very least, you know, eat up four plus five innings. Like Davey's not playing around with these starters. You're wearing it no matter what happens in your outing because Davey, uh, he's tired of going to the bullpen and you can't trust the bullpen right now. And even if you go to your bullpen, you're having to use like three, four guys to cover just three innings, let's say, four innings, let's say. Like that's the other thing, too. If you look at these reliever outings, it's less than an inning per outing at this point because inevitably one or two guys struggles, and so you have to yank the guy before he can complete having pitched an official inning. I believe, Al,
4: that Davy Martinez would be on our side when it comes to seven innings based upon his experience the past
0: few months. This season, he might be,
4: yeah. Yeah, you inject him with true serum, I think he'd be all about seven innings. His job would be a lot easier I know it's kind of felt like a waste of time with Sean Nolan because it's highly doubtful that he's in the future plans. But I am rather interested into how his outing goes on Wednesday night. He's facing a fierce lineup, a team that's fighting for their playoff lives. He did face a power-hitting lineup with the Mets three times and was kind of decent the last two times against them. So I don't know if the familiarity with New York worked for him. It'll be his first time facing the Braves, so it could go either direction. Tukey Toussaint, who's pitching for Atlanta, he has his struggles. His ERA is above four. So this game could go in a lot of different directions tomorrow. And, uh, and Nolan is also fighting for a rotation spot now that Josh Rogers is on the roster. That's another thing to watch for if you're, if you're interested in that portion of the team. And we hope you are. We appreciate you listening. If you're a true seamhead, I guess that battle is for you.
0: Yes, we have now reached another low point in this national season discussing the rotation battle between Sean Nolan and Josh Rogers <laughs> deep in the month of September. 2021. Remember where you are so you can remember where you were. I know Charlie Slow says that for things much different than what we just talked about. But yeah, remember that conversation for when the Nats get good again. And then we can laugh at, remember when we were talking Josh Rogers versus Sean Nolan for a spot in the Nationals rotation in September 2021. Well, you tell us what you think? Podcast at gmail.com. We got this email from Drew and uh, I didn't Know this. This is a great fun fact that Drew sent along. He said, over the holiday weekend, Juan Soto walked for the 338th time in his career, matching the career total of Starling Castro. It took Juan 4,704 less plate appearances to get to 338 career walks. And he has the listed plate appearances here for Soto, 1,875. For Castro, 6,500. 79. That's a whopper when you read that and you actually look at those numbers.
4: Yeah, Starron Castro was with the Cubs a significant time ago. I mean, this is well before they were building for a World Series championship. And he was obviously on the team up until the All-Star break this year. So when I read that, that kind of took my breath away for a second. And uh, if, if you need further proof as to how many walks Juan Soto is drawing, I think that's an excellent stat. I thank Drew a lot for sending that one
0: over. Email from It's Stealth regarding Juan Soto and the insane rate at which he's getting on base. He says, hey guys, I was wondering what's your reaction to Juan Soto having more walks than strikeouts? Just curious to hear your thoughts. Well, it's spectacular. You know, you don't need me to tell you that. The whole thing about getting more walks than strikeouts, especially in this day and age in which everyone, it feels like, strikes out so often And the shame of striking out long ago left us. Juan Soto threw games on Tuesday, 114 walks on the season versus 79 strikeouts on the year. There are guys who do this. I mean, it's not like completely unheard of to have more walks than strikeouts, but especially, like I said, right now in baseball, where a strikeout doesn't mean what it used to mean, that's insane that Soto's doing this. The ultimate example, though, of drawing more walks than strikeouts is Joe DiMaggio. Joe DiMaggio in his career, all right, which was only 13 seasons in part because of the war, but Joe D in his career, 790 walks in the regular season, just 369 strikeouts in the regular season. Joe DiMaggio never struck out more than 39 times in any regular season. And I get it. Different era, different game. You know, there was a real shame when it came to striking out back in the 30s and 40s, but that to me, of all the great stats that are out there with Joe DiMaggio, that's the one that will always stick with me. The dude never struck out more than 39 times in a regular season.
4: I remember my dad teaching me that as a little kid. Joe D struck out 369 times, 363 homers, and how incredible of a ratio that was for his career. I do have to ask you this question, Al. For anyone not named Barry Bonds or Babe Ruth, the most walks in a season is McGuire and Ted Williams' 162. Do you think Soto could ever get 163 walks in a season?
0: I do. I was about to say, could he do it this year? No, he's not, I don't think he's going to have enough time to do it this year. I mean, that's, he's played in 127 games. There's not that much time left in the season. But I do think that he could threaten that, you know? especially if Soto has his version of that Bryce Harper 2015 season, which is you're already a really good player, but you have a year that is among, like, the handful of all-time great years in the history of the sport, you know? Has Soto had that year yet? Every year he's had has been a great year, but has he had that, like, video game year yet? I don't know, you know? It kind of feels in some ways like this year is a video game-like year, but like you said, he didn't get off to a great start from a power-hitting standpoint. I'm talking about, like, an all-time great year, again, like what Bryce did in 2015. We haven't seen that season quite yet from Juan Soto. I believe we will see that season at some point. And when we see that season, that's when something like that walks mark could come tumbling down.
4: Yeah, so that's something Nats fans, just keep in the back of your mind. Can he get either 163 or 170, which would match Babe Ruth? That was a record forever until Bonds broke it. So uh, I know walks aren't the sexiest stat, but now that we're going to be watching Juan Soto every day for a long time, I would add that to your stat repertoire.
0: You tell us what you think. You can email us, like I said, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. We have a new voice memo topic that we're throwing out there to the masses, and that is a prediction for the 2022 Washington Nationals. Anything, something good, something bad, something that happens this offseason, whatever you want it to be. There is a lot that could be going down with the Nationals come the end of this season. What is one thing that you believe will be happening for the Nationals in 2022? You can record yourself speaking into your smartphone and then send that file to us. Again, that email address, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. You can always uh, reach us on Twitter as well, at Nats underscore chat. Uh, The secret weapon pitched on Tuesday night. Things didn't go that well, but he is still the secret weapon. He is still our guy. You can get yourself a secret weapon t-shirt by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. That's natschatpodcast.square.site. And a shout out to Daniel, who Tim Shovers ran into in Rock Creek Park the other day wearing a secret weapon t-shirt. And my favorite thing about that story, Tim, was you telling me that Daniel said to you that that day felt like a secret weapon day. So that's the thing. If it feels like a Secret Weapon Day, wear the Secret Weapon T-shirt.
4: Beautiful Labor Day holiday. And for whatever reason, he didn't want the classic blue Natchet shirt. He was feeling the Secret Weapon shirt. He knew he was getting ready for a start on Tuesday night in Atlanta. And I can't thank Daniel enough. That was a real thrill. He made my holiday right there. So
0: thanks so much for that. I love that line. It felt like a secret weapon day. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Tim Shovers, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. And we'll leave you with this voice memo with this prediction for 2022. The prediction comes to us from Spencer in Bethesda.
6: Hey, Mark. Hey, Al. This is Spencer from Bethesda. My big prediction for the 2022 season for the Nationals is that Carter Keeboom solidifies himself as a starting third baseman and hits 30 home runs. I think he's shown that he can hit with some power, and I think he takes a big leap just because he's shown throughout this entire year that he can really capitalize with runners in scoring position. His OPS is impressive for someone that I think everyone is writing off during spring training, and I think he has the momentum that he needs to go into the next season and be really successful and I think at the very, very least, he will show that he is a more productive hitter than Starling Castro. And I would not be surprised if he puts up Unel Escobar type of numbers like Unel Escobar did when he was on the Nats not too long ago. Thanks. I love the show. And I'm going to keep on listening. Thanks, guys.
3: Now the 1-1. Swing and a line drive up the middle. A base hit in the vacant right center field. Escobar scores from third. Keeboom has done it again as Bell stops at second base with a shift on. He's trying to hit the ball the other way, and he did. He didn't hit it hard. A little humpback liner with nobody home on the right side of the infield. Goes into right center field for an RBI single. His 19th run batted in,
0: and a clutch hit here with two out of the top of the first inning. The Nationals take the lead one to nothing.